You're listening to the Trake Baby Podcast. It's a podcast for Trake parents and members of the Trake community. This is episode 16 for May 16th, 2021, an interview with Svenja. Thanks for joining us today. Before I introduce our next guest, I want to let you know that you can find the Trake Baby Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And be sure to like our Trake Baby page as well as join our Trake Baby group. Both are on Facebook. Follow at Trake Baby on Twitter and visit our website, trakebaby.com, for a list of information resources as well as to sign up for email subscriptions so you never miss an update. Today, we're speaking with a real-life superhero. She's an ENT nurse clinician located in Central Texas by the name of Svenja Atchley. Her full professional title has so many abbreviations that trying to say them would not do them justice. But personally... I think she's the expert of experts when it comes to trait care. I'll put her full title in the show notes. And when parents are told their child will require a trait, Svenja, at least at our hospital, is the first person they meet as she prepares them for trait care. In fact, she taught my wife and I what to expect with our son, John, and how to care for him. Here's her interview. Uh, I'm a registered nurse. And my official title is uh, ENT nurse clinician. So I've been doing this start May 8th was exactly 15 years. So I go back. I was an ENT nurse in Germany and then I came here and I did med search nursing for, for like 12 years. And then this position came open and I, I took it and I've done this ever since. And initially, you know, my background was not pediatrics. So, but I've always wanted to be a PD nurse because my mom was one. So, uh, <laughs> then, um, I was like, oh, my God, you tell me I have to go to NICU and pick you. But the nurse trained me. They had the job before me, trained me for like six weeks. And uh, then immediately I had three babies in NICU. And I said, I just have to learn this. And I dove in with evidence-based research and studied all summer long and made a bunch of changes. And uh, probably enjoy working with the PD patients and their parents probably the most. It's, it's very rewarding. It's, it's a lot of fun. So like your son, you know, remember when we gave him the, the, the cap and he made sounds and that's like almost the last step before getting rid of the trach and then getting rid of the trach. It's, it's just really exciting. Well, it's uh, emotional. Of my job. It's mm-hmm. emotional as a parent too. You know, um, you know, his, the first time we really wanted to, wanted to cry, I guess, was when he got mm-hmm. his speaking valve um, back in, uh, we were in another part of the state, but um, we were still going to Mc, Mc, uh, the, the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. and so what we did was, um, but, but when you see that you, you want to, you just, when you finally hear your, your child cry, uh, cry and make noises, uh, it's just, it's emotional. And I'm sure as I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm sure it's, it's probably very, very similar. Uh, speaking oh, of child crying, so... I've got a child in somewhere in the other part of the house so <laughs> that may be bleeding through the microphone, oh. but who's, who's screaming and crying right now. But, uh, uh, so what is healthcare like in, uh, in Germany, how how was there a was there a, a did you have to acclimate yourself to to differences or how, you know was yeah there... um, yeah I took a test for graduate before nursing schools and um, passed it. I, as a matter of fact, I went to the military library and got a really big nursing manual from 1972 and <laughs> read through that. That was in the 80s so or early 90s. Read through it, try to figure out all the words I didn't know the nursing terminology. And when I passed the test for graduate for nursing schools, then I um, took a, I was able to take the NCLEX test. That's an exam that all the nurses that have graduated from nursing school take. I mm-hmm. passed it, and then I started working here. 
So was this was this in Germany or was this in the U.S.? Was this in Germany? In the U.S. U.S. Yeah, I took the first test in Germany because I knew my husband was going to come back to the states. So uh, I knew we were going to come, and I would have to want to work here. So I had to do all this. I had to do a bunch of preparations, pass this big exam, and then uh, when we moved here, then I took the NCLEX, studied for an entire month. My kids were so little; they were just playing in our backyard while I was sitting there next to them studying and. Then I passed the NCLEX, and then I started working here, and I was trained. Um, I was precepted probably for six weeks, and then. So you were, but you were an own. RN. Were you an RN before you came over, or did you? Because you're, yeah. You, okay, so you were I'm an RN originally. We didn't have. We, we don't have RN in Germany. We just have a nurse, and that's what I was. I just was a nurse, and then um, when I came here, I got the option between LVN or RN exam because we didn't have the distinction in Germany. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to try RN. I fail, I can still do LVN, and I passed RN, so that was pretty cool. So it was just a matter so, of testing. It was a different kind of test you took when you came to the States, and that mm-hmm. is what certified yep. you to be. Oh, okay. Yep, and well, then I took the NCLEX. That's the test every nurse has to take in the States when they graduate from nursing school. So I had to take that, and when I passed it, then I got the official title as registered nurse. The only difference was that I never went to American nursing school. I went to nursing school in Germany. I see. So I had to kind of, I had to kind of brush up on nursing in America. You know, learn some of the terms, learn some of the differences, and uh, I was kind of fortunate to, to pass the test and start working here. Right. So I guess um, a question would be, what, what, how did you have an option for for a respiratory care? Well, the thing is, I when I I always liked the job of a nurse clinician which I am a nurse clinician right now, which means I'm not bound to a specific nursing unit, but kind of work all over and be somebody that trains patients and their families, that trains staff, that has an advisory role. I always enjoyed that. And the nurse that had the job before me, because I used to work ENT in Germany, ear, nose, throat, and I was familiar with trach tubes on adults, you know, mm-hmm. because we, we had quite a bit on my unit. And so the nurse that that had the job before me whenever we had trait patients. She sometimes asked me to help help her out or if we had a patient on our unit. I did, did uh, you know, their trick tube changes. And then when she got ready to retire, she asked me if I wanted her job. And I was a little scared about the pediatric aspect of it because mm-hmm. that was not my background. And this is, at this point, you're in the States. Me. At this point, you're in oh, the yeah, States. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. I've already been here for 12 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was already here for 12 years and then I got my bachelor's degree and I was ready to move on to something different from mid-surge nursing. And that's when I, uh, so after 12 years, I, you know, moved over to the ENT nurse clinician role. And I've been doing this now for 15 years. My goodness. So I guess a question would be, you know, I, I guess you encounter a lot of parents who are probably, this is going to be new for them. I mean, it was new for us. And so, oh, yeah. you know, I believe I recall you had very good, you know, like I guess I say bedside manner or understanding of the situation that you know we're, we were mm-hmm. new to it. How do you, um, you know, I guess what's going through your mind whenever you're told, "Hey, you need to go show some parents how to take care of a, a trach child that they're new new at it." You know, what's generally going through your mind? Oh, so it's I, I work in the children's hospital, you know, in two settings really. I work in the neonatal ICU and in the pediatric ICU. And when I hear trach, really from the the first thing 
when 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 people like the ENT doctors or the NICU team or PICU team approaches me, let's say they're very different worlds. Let's talk NICU first. Mm-hmm. So if they approach me in NICU, um, I my first thing is this. I ask, uh, why do they need a trach? Is it a preemie that can come off the vent because their lungs were damaged from being premature? So that was my first day. Is, is it this kind of patient population? Somebody where there's pretty good chance that with time they cannot grow their problems and uh, they can they can then you know get their trach out? Or is it a child that's neurologically devastated that had uh, a very, very complicated birth or was born with... Uh, a lot of um, a lot of health problems where sometimes on some of these children so the NICU team might even consider that should we just transition to comfort measures or should we do a trach procedure the, so I, I, I always kind of want to know what the main reason is why the child needs a trach tube uh, then the next thing is is this a child that's um, so in pediatric ICU often my my First question is, is this a child that's in foster care or is this a child that lives with a family? Because a lot of kids that are in pediatric ICU need a trach, some of them already live in medical foster care because the parents, either it was a non-accidental trauma and uh, they were taken away from the families because of that and have severe brain injury and are placed in foster care and then they have a lot of swallowing issues and secretion management issues and that's why eventually they'll need a trach. So if they're in foster care, usually those foster families are very familiar with trach patients and children, and it's just a matter of meeting them, introducing myself if I've never met them before, and they don't require usually a lot of training because they already know, right. uh, and they're not scared. They often are the ones that actually recommend, especially if they take a new child in that came out of area, and the first thing they say, oh my God, the child needs a trach. They can hard, they're, they're so miserable and can hardly carly breathe right and they're often the ones that initiated it so i don't have to talk to the family about uh, their you know they're not afraid of a trach they see the benefits a trach can have for a child they can see how it makes life easier for a child if it is a native family that for instance had something happening to that child uh, in, in pediatric icu it could have been either a general disease process that where, where it gets slowly worse, where eventually the children get to the point where the child gets to a point where it needs a trach tube, or um, it is a child that has had something devastating happening, uh, choking on something or near drowning, things like that. So those, those families that are often very, very um, stressed because of the, the terrible situation that you know, the hospitalization, they're not knowing if they're shot going to survive these things. And, and then they, it looks like they're surviving. And then we're thinking they, they, will, they will need a trach. And then we throw this at them. And it's often very scary for these families. It's scary for the families that are not familiar with a trach. So I, I always want to know from the team a little bit about the family situation. And this is all going I on behind the them. scenes. This is before yeah, this is you, you've first, met the family. Yes. Yeah. When they first tell me, Svenja, uh, we have a child in rooms, let's say, 310, that needs a trach. Can you meet family? And then I'm like, okay, is it a foster family or is it a native family? And, they're, and then they're like, in PQ, for instance, and then they say, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a family, this child. Oh, they're really involved. They're really sweet. This kid had this and this happening, and they'll need a trach. Or this kid has had multiple hospitalizations, and we just can't keep it healthy. 
they don't manage their secretions well, they have pneumonia after pneumonia, or they, they fail their sleep study, they need a ventilator at night, and they can't use a CPAP, I say, so those kind of things. So, so I get a little bit of an idea from the, from the team, and then I meet the family. And I like to meet the family usually as soon as possible. At the moment somebody mentions trach, I would like to meet the family. doesn't always happen that way, but uh, mainly because I've, I've worked with children in the hospital, but also afterwards, and I can give the families, I think, a pretty good picture of what to expect. You know, and, and John was, it was several years ago. I, I still learn. Every day there's something new I learn, and I try to incorporate that. So, so just meeting the families and trying to give them a pretty realistic idea what it would be like uh, for their for them and for their child um, when they have a trach. Right. Well, you know, I, in our case, you know, we had we had come off of him having a, a G button, so we were somewhat familiar. And I, by the way, I don't we, don't we can since you're familiar with this case, I don't have a problem with us talking about mm-hmm. it publicly. But we're um, also wouldn't have you here. But uh, I, you know, in our case, we uh, we. Um, had him on a G button. So we were somewhat familiar with equipment wise. So we weren't that, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? So, uh, shocked. Now I'll say that trait care is a lot different than G button care. You know, it, mm-hmm. it is a lot different. And um, for us, it was the, the confusion that I say confusion, the frustration was, you know, originally, okay, we, he may, he may need some work done on his, 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 his throat, you know. Okay, so that, that was mm-hmm. the But we don't think he'll need a trach. Okay, okay, that's great. Well, we need to do a sleep study. We don't think he, the worst case, he'll need a trach, but we don't think that's the case. And then it, for us, it was step after step, and then it was like, well, no, he'll need a trach. And so for us, that was the, you know, I look back, though, and I wish we had kind of followed along sooner and closer and have said, yeah, absolutely, let's do it, you know, historically so- looking back. I picked up something from you right now that makes uh, a lot of sense. You know, like uh, to me, that makes that that just kind of was very eye opening in a way when you you know you said we're going to do this, we're going to do that. So in the worst case scenario, he will need a trach, but we don't think it's going to be that bad. You know, he won't need a trach. So to the way it, the trach was brought up was already as the worst that possibly could happen to your child. And then for some crazy reason, you know, this could be for any child that go that has a complicated hospitalization. Oh, we try to extubate, we try to get him off the vent. If that happens, so the worst case would be he would need a trach and go home with a ventilator. You know, but it's already sounding like the worst possible thing that could happen to your child. And then when it happens, and then I come walking in there, oh, let me talk to you about a trach. You know, families often already so scared and so so afraid and they, they, they feel they're responsible over their child because their child can't make their own decisions and they don't want to make a wrong decision. And so they're, they're very, they're very conflicted and very stressed and very afraid. Right. You know, and, and to me, I've had, fa- I've had a mother say, you know, we went into a family care conference. We were ready to fight for our child. We did not want to trade. We were ready. We did our research. We were fighting to convince the team. Our child did not need a trade. And, when I met them, I had not met them uh, much. I, tend, I think I met them during, in the care conference. I didn't have the opportunity to meet them before. It was a NICU baby. And uh, the first thing, he had a lot of problems breathing due to some, some issues, you know, with how the nose was formed and the upper airway was formed. And 
he was struggling to breathe. I just peeked at him and I could see he was struggling to breathe. And when I told the parents, I said, well, um, when he gets a trach, it's going to change your life. It's going to make your life much, much harder, you know, when, when he gets a trach. However, for your child, a trach will make his life much, much easier because he can breathe comfortably. He's not fighting for his breath anymore. And the moms told me later, because kind of after that, they just were, it just was a switch within the family. And they were just listening to what we had to say. And they're like, okay, we're signing consent. When can we do this? And I was not aware that they were trying to fight not to get the trach. And later the mom told me, she said, you know, when you said it's going to make it easier for our child, we, we that's all we want. We don't want him to struggle. He's been through enough already. We want We want things easy for him. If it's hard for us, it doesn't matter. But we want it easy for him um, that... To me, it's just such a common thing. Oh yeah, obviously, but but for them, it was it was a, just an eye opener, and they and and I've noticed that with a lot of families, when uh, if we would say, you know, in the worst case scenario, he would get a trach. If we would just say, we'll do what we can, and if he needs a trach, you know, that that we don't we don't tell the parents per se. This is the worst possible thing that could happen to your child, mm-hmm. because it's it's kind of probably the worst that could happen to the parents because of from from. You're going to have nurses in the house. You're going to need supplies. You know, you need to always watch your child. But for the child, it's <laughs> well, maybe I, I not almost tripped over the worst, you know? I almost tripped over. We still have some residual supplies that still still arrive. Oh, I almost bad. tripped over them walking in this after, this evening, you know. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm i reminded, oh, well, yep, there's still some supplies coming in. Now we've also had a lot less come through since we no longer, mm-hmm. since he was decannulated. He no longer, a lot yeah. of stuff we don't need. So but, would, you, would you think that's also like that? You know, would, would I mean, and every situation is so uniquely different. And you can't say that, that um, you know, every, the dynamics between the parents or if it's a single mom, the single mom and friends or single mom and her parents, uh, you know, the, the dynamics are so different for, for every child. So it's, you can't relate one to another, you know, but I'm thinking a lot of parents have felt that they definitely don't want their child to suffer. They want to make things easy for their child. And if a trach is the means to do that, to make it easier, to give them better sleep so they can be more active during the day, so they don't struggle for their breath, all these kind of things. You know, there's many reasons why children need a trach, but ultimately it's to make things easier for them. So they, they're more comfortable that most parents then don't feel so um, objected to it anymore. How, would you say that? Yeah, True no, hundred percent. I I think that um, for us it was it was you know I, I'd say first few days, few weeks are still you're in, in still in shock or at least still acclimating. You know, maybe that's the word mm-hmm. for it. And then um, you know after you get into a routine, you start to realize oh we can still go places. We can still and I know every situation's a little unique. So there's some situations where you know kids are going to be on a vent all the time. And in our, in our case, John didn't require that except for when he was sleeping. So I know there are definitely situations where it's a lot, I guess, more challenging. Um, but in our case, we could still go out on, on trips. We could go on vacations. We just had to lug along the, the, the suction vacuum suctioner. And then we would take his, you know, at the time his, his vent when we were needing it. And so there was a lot more you had to plan for, but you, you, you basically acclimated to it. It just became your normal, normal life. Yeah. And so, yeah. 
it it is something you can acclimate uh, as a parent. You can get used to. Um, you'll find you'll yeah. find that routine, and then you'll realize this was a good decision because, you know, he's doing better. He's not yeah. his stomach, his chest isn't. In our case, John, when he was breathing, his chest would cave in as it was as he was breathing, which isn't isn't natural at all, and mm-hmm. it's because he was struggling. And so for us, it became a. Um, it was like, hey, this was a good decision. You know, it's challenging yeah. at times, but at the end, you know, and we didn't know if he was going to be decannulated or not, you know, we, you know, and, and then for a while for us, it became, you know, he has the trach. Okay. Well now he may need a vent. We're like, Oh great. You know, it's, it's continuing, yeah. you know, but you know, that was probably the, the peak for us was when he had the vent and then over time he just got to where he, he did. then he needed oxygen on top of that. Mm-hmm. And then it then but over time as he aged in our case, you know, he, we said, okay, we don't need the oxygen as much at night. We don't need the vent at night. So that was removed from our list. Um, mm-hmm. Just, just seeing the progress. And so looking back, I think also it made us better parents from a humble, from a humble standpoint, you know, it yeah. let us value things that, that we most a lot of parents would take for granted, you know, we, we were, even we took for granted, it, it humbles you. It says, Hey, you know what? Yeah. There are others out there who are uh, in a, maybe it could be a worse situation. There are others who are scared, which again, what motivated me to do, start to start the podcast was, was mm-hmm. so that we could at least, Hey, hear other stories of people going through the same situations. You know? I, yeah. That's what I think. It's very helpful. The thing is with, with my patients, so I have like the two different types, you know, I have the ones like John that we do the trach and they have, and, and they slowly outgrow their problems or some kids have reconstructive surgeries they have their airways open back up or they have their, if they need craniofacial surgeries uh, and they have to wait a little bit until they can have their cleft palate repaired or their craniofacial issues taken care of. Usually they have to be a little older for that. And then step by step, they will get less and less, they get more stable, and then eventually work towards getting the trach out. So we have those kind of patients, and then I have the patients that gradually get a little sicker and a little bit more dependent and a little bit more dependent until they might eventually pass away. So I have those as well, but the majority of my pediatric patients are the ones that actually wind up doing better. Or at least staying stable and managing their life and still having fun and doing stuff and being kids. They don't let this stop them from living their life. A trike, you know. It's, sure. Well, it's, I talked to a, a mother, yeah, mother a few weeks ago who whose child um, is in her thirties now, but she's she's, um, you know, it's not quite. Um, oh, I forgot what the name of it is, but uh, she, she, the daughter's not going to get any better, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and she can't communicate. And, and makes no, you know, it's just, it's just going to be, you know, that's the, that's how it's going to be. But even she said that she's found ways to, to still, as they were growing up, she had a son and they were able to, to still have a life, you know, and and Mm -hmm. she does not regret. It was very, it was very motivational to me to hear another parent say who, who's had a situation different than ours, um, where it won't be get, they won't be getting any better, but still be positive and say, but you know what? You still find the positive. You still, you're still, you still, you need to do it for them. You stay positive for them and for yourself. And, and so yeah. I, I guess in your line of work, you though, you, you see all different, different um, perspectives of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure, as you said earlier, each one's unique. Um, 
what would be, and you kind of touched on it, what would be some, what are some things you see new, new trait parents do that you would like, you're like, okay, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. Don't worry. Um, from anything from even cleaning, showing us how well, to clean. Cause of, the, the, well, well, one of the things that, that, uh, you know, some parents, uh, get information get wrong information like some crazy stuff on youtube or whatever you know so that's something uh some and and one of the things too i what i can the advice i can give to parents is take whatever you can from your healthcare team learn 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 be there while your child is in the hospital and learn as much as you can be your child you will be your child's best advocate and and some parents always think well i want to have nurses and they're going to and I'm like, no, 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 those might be brand new home health nurses. You might need to teach them, you know. So, but right. my biggest advice is for parents, learn as much as you can. Another advice I have for parents, I would say, and I don't know how realistic this is, but it's also to take a little bit of time for yourself, um, especially, you know, when you're married. Take a little bit of time for yourself. Once you know you can trust the nurses, um, do something. Have some alone time or have some time with siblings you know, just uh, to recharge a little bit, especially if, if it's stressful and there's there's a lot of shifts, you don't have nursing, uh, you know, just, to, you know, to, to help out with that. But mainly those are some things um, to, 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 to learn as much as you can and, um, and also to support each other, especially when one family member, maybe uh, it's a husband and wife, a mom and a dad, and one of them is very scared and the other one, it's not. I've had sometimes when we did trick training where one was really, really good and I showed them once and they got it down and the other one was a slow learner, was not very medically inclined and then the other one rolled the eyes at him and then <laughs> there was stress and strife and, and you know, conflict going on. Then. Yeah, well, and I'm like, support each other, you know. Funny. I've had one mom, she looked at me and said, Svenja, I'm a hairstylist. I don't do this stuff. My husband learns all is going to learn all of this and no, 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 you have to learn too. But he really stepped up at first and then eventually she came to Trachman Clinic follow up and she just said, Sonia, remember when I told you? I said, yeah, I, I know everything now. Well, I've learned, you know, but support each other and, and don't be just mental, you know, if one has a harder time, just kind of be there and try to find all the resources, use all the resources you have in your community, in, in church, extended family, neighbors, whoever, you know, try to, Try to utilize uh, as much help as you can, and, and 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 basically, as parents, support each other. That's that's one of the big big advices I think I have. Those are usually the children that do the best. That have parents. If they were married before the streak happened, they stay together. They support each other, and they support the child and the other children. And and that that is usually um, those are usually good good outcomes. Well, another thing, yeah, that's the one of the things. Another thing I that I see where I sometimes like I've had children in NICU, they're preemies, they're on a ventilator, they can't come off the ventilator. They're almost at forty gestational weeks now. They they don't going anywhere, you know. And the parents don't want to try because that's like the worst thing that possibly could happen. Let's do another steroid challenge. They give them steroids and hoping that it'll help the lungs a little bit let's try this again let's try that again and things just not moving forward and then the child pulls the intubation tube out needs to be reintubated pulls it out needs to reintubate it and and those kids have had an intubation tube in place sometimes for months and uh, then keeping it in there longer and longer and longer can completely scar up the airway 
and Asap has some kids and and a delayed the discharge from the hospital, and then they maybe catch infections while they're in NICU. So um, when when the NICU team says we think the child needs a trach, if they have complete objections, get a second opinion at Texas Children's or Cooks, and usually they will trach the child and send them back to us. But um, ultimately, when the team thinks it's time. Try not to delay it by another couple of weeks and months because those are hard for your child. Yeah, even I agree. when a child and and if a child, some kids don't have, they have nasal CPAP going on, and the parents say, "Well, we don't want trach; they're not intubated. Hopefully, they get better." And the problem with a nasal CPAP mask is it sits on the nose, and the children's brain development gets gets hampered because their vision is distorted because they see that mask. And it actually affects them developmentally, which is they can't even move well. But it even that mask on their face constantly affects them. I had no idea that NICU team told me that once. It's just, yeah, yeah, this is just really bad. This is such a neurologically intact child, and this mask on their face, you know, we can't keep this in indefinitely. So those are all things. So when the team thinks it's time, uh, we've tried everything. The, the the safest, best way would be to do a trach that the family then um, tries to go with it or get a second opinion, but not just kind of don't, delay it. Don't delay, delay it. Delay well, it. and that's what's interesting is is uh, in medical field, you know, you've got individuals who, who have got the experience and have got the degrees and have the, and again, most of it's experience. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you don't just lightly say, oh, let's get him a trach. You know, it's it's something you no, guys have probably like, weighed very heavily. Truly, oh, yes, yes, yes. Heavy. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so, no, I can, I was, earlier I was just going to say that, you know, in our case, it was hard for me to be able to, to do the tasks like a trach change. Not so much that I didn't want to, it was just that my wife would, she, and I get, I bet this is common, is that the, one of the, one of the members of the family will kind of take it upon their own personal responsibility to where I'm mm-hmm. going to do it. Nope. I don't want you to do it. I'm going to do it. And, and that's just because of, of, you know, um, maybe out of concern or to them, it's like in her case, she told me, she's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. And I, I feel like it's a control. It's, it's to help me stay in control of the situation. So I would try to change yeah. it. Now we, we obviously worked through that, but it would, it was like, no, 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 I got it. No, no, you don't need to do it. I got it. I got it. And it took time to convince her to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not, I haven't got to do it as much, so I'm a little rusty, but I need you to walk me through it, and I can, and we'll be okay. And sure enough, we were fine. Um, yeah, I even had dads where the child was hospitalized, and it needed to have a routine trach tube change, and that trach had been there for a while. And a dad happened to be there and said, you know what, they do for a tube change. Do you think we both can do this together? Because my wife does not want me to do this. She always <laughs> does the tube changes. But I really, really feel like because there's times I'm alone with my child. Yeah. And what if something happens, you know? And I'm like, absolutely, let's do a trick tube change. Yeah. And, and what, uh, one thing that I'm doing now that I did not do when I trained you guys, PetSmart donated a whole bunch of stuffed animals to Children's Hospital. And they, they look like they have like arms and legs. So they're cats and bunnies, but mm-hmm. I picked the ones that look like a little human in a way. And I shaved their neck a little bit, shaved the fur off, put a trach in, and then each family gets one of those, either a cat or sometimes a mm-hmm. bunny. If I have a little girl, I give them a little bunny. And they're about the size of a newborn, and we can animate them. And the tube changes feel very realistic, and we do much simulated now, which we didn't do that much with your son. We, so we do a lot of training simulated. 
Oh, and so awesome. sometimes I'm like, okay, let's do a little simulated training, you know, and then uh, change the uh, change the trick. But I think that makes a big difference. I was like, why did I not do this any sooner? So I've done it for a couple of years now, but I know I didn't do it for you guys. I think I just threw you in the fire. Let's just do it. <laughs> you know, that is funny. Yeah, no, it was it was. You know, we I I think we had. I think I mean we we left feeling uh, with we had enough knowledge. Now we were still obviously nervous. You know, I mean we were mm-hmm. actually even up until before he was decannulated back in March. We were there was always a feeling of being nervous. You know, he was older at that point and sometimes he would do his own or he would, you know, he but you always felt like okay, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. Of course he would tell mm-hmm. you now, you know, and and uh and so it it, it the perspective definitely changes. And also and we were fortunate that my mother-in-law was a, was a registered nurse. And so she, while she hadn't had a lot of trait patients, uh, when she was a nurse, she at least was familiar enough with the procedures to do what needed to happen. And so she would, she would, okay. So I'm going to admit to something that I'm sure you don't want to hear, you know, the cleaning kits that she would, she adhered mm-hmm. to it to hundred percent, exactly following the right pro- proper procedures and cleaning. And, but I noticed with parents, sometimes we're just like, <laughs> just one, mm-hmm. rinse it off, put it back in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially if they're pulling out all the time. And there's also a difference if you have a child that's on a ventilator uh, and very fragile medically or somebody that's completely fine, just has some airway stenosis or, or is waiting for more surgery, but they're otherwise uh, very robust, healthy children that don't really have a whole lot of other medical needs besides uh, an airway problem or mm-hmm. something, you know. Uh, so those, those kind of kids are definitely a different category than than a child that's very medically fragile, especially a little snicky um, baby sure. <laughs> with with uh, on a ventilator. Those I'm uh, very picky about, you know, how what we do and how that we keep everything as clean as we can. Now here's a child that's touching all different kinds of things, and then it's touching the trait, and then it's touching this and that. You know, oh, <laughs> you right. just do the best you can. Well, you and I'm not advocating. Can, you, know? you know, parents who are listening, and you're taught to to clean the trait, follow the proper <laughs> procedure. You know, you should. Um, and I, but yeah. you know, and I will admit, though, there are times that we were like, ah, oh, just just blow on it and put it back in. <laughs> if yeah. there was a problem. Uh, but no, I'll give our 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 her mom was very uh, very adamant about she followed the. The procedures. Uh, I'll admit that when I had to take notes on several times to to properly yeah, and, clean and the trach. Thing, and I'm saying that you have a cleaning kit. That's what I, I've had a foster mom, and she just did it. Showed me how to do trach tube change, and she just threw. The, I always avoid the diaper area in a in a bed. I don't yeah. want the trach tube laying in the diaper zone. I, if I take it out, it might be landing at the head of the bed. Because we don't put a diaper next to a child's head, a dirty one. Right. But the diaper zone, I don't want that trach there ever especially not one i'm getting ready to put in we don't want e coli in the airway sure. you know for instance and those things it doesn't take much to put the trach keep it clean rather than th- just nonchalantly purposely just throw it in a diaper zone for instance right. you know so that's one of the things i you know I, it's, some of the things you, it's just not a big deal you know you just don't do it like this if you don't do every other step but but certain things i'm pretty peculiar about because i don't want i don't want kids to have infections that could be prevented you oh, know but oh, absolutely. everyday well, thing and, like and i said kids put their hands all over the place things you can't avoid but if you put in a brand new trach it's sterile in a package don't take it out and just throw it next to the yeah no, diaper I area understand. before you put it in you know i'm like what? 
Well, in yeah, the case so. of John, he did, you know, he did, he's been fortunate. And I, I, I'm sure because we've been isolated last and actually that's what I'll ask you in a minute and then I'll, we'll, we'll conclude, mm. but is, uh, he, uh, he would, he did come down with a few, you know, infections. He had, he had pneumonia and, and, uh, some of it could be accredited to you know, hopefully proper trait care was actually was, was considered in that, but you know, he was prone to catching, uh, especially when he was in, he was in grade school, his first year in mm-hmm. kindergarten, he would come down with, with ailments and it was usually long related. I mean, he was, he was fine, but he would run a fever and get, catch pneumonia or something related and it would have well, some respiratory. Well, you bypass the upper airway yeah. basically. So some child, uh, coughs and sneezes and whatever, and he just inhales us through his trach. Yeah. And oh yeah, absolutely. And, and it's. If you breathe through your nose, you you can feel the discomfort, and you can realize this isn't good. But like in his case, like we went camping one year, and and uh, he was breathing near the campfire and didn't think much of it, and then he was like, "I don't feel good." Well, because he didn't have that response to, to uh, you know, this is this is unpleasant. You know, he, he didn't have it as as, as prevalent because he wasn't going through breathing through his, his yeah. nose, uh, or not enough. But so one question though, I do I want to ask is so how has COVID affected your world just generally well yeah in the so the main thing one thing i've we've noticed is that we've had a lot less sick children because everybody's been so careful so we haven't had we had all even in the adult world we had like i had one patient with the flu and that was right in march when covid just started otherwise i had like no patient with the flu this year the kids were much healthier. I mean, we had much less sick kids in the hospital, uh, probably due to the COVID because they didn't go to school. They didn't catch stuff from other kids. Mm-hmm. So that they, they have done much better. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed, we had kids that we saw in check clinic. We've done virtual visits, which is fine with me too. But we have had kids that needed certain procedures to maybe progress them to the next steps towards getting the trach decannulated. Um, where we wanted to do a sleep study or we wanted to do a, you know, the ENT doctors wanted to take them to the OR to look at the airway. And for these procedures, they require a COVID test. And families did not want to object their child to a COVID test because it, it, it does hurt. Some that said, mm-hmm. no, my child's been so enough, we're just going to wait. And so they, they've been holding off. Some of them have been holding off as procedures. Some Many of them have not, you know, but some have where they specifically because they said, no, I don't want the COVID test. Mm-hmm. So it just depends. Some families were, were holding off and others said, no, but if it needs to be done, we'll do it. We'll do the COVID test as well. Um, I've noticed I've had families that uh, canceled all their nurses because they were afraid that the nurses would bring in COVID. I've had families or children that caught COVID. I had a whole family cut, catch COVID from a nurse because they were very hunkered down. They did nothing during COVID, tried to keep everybody healthy. And then one of the nurses brought COVID in and they all got sick. Um, but a lot of times my patients were really not the sickest. They actually managed pretty good because yeah. they, well, this last year was, was John's healthiest year. It was in 2020. Yeah. And Both even kids. with COVID, when kids caught, when kids caught COVID, even I've had some, I've had a, an ex nicu preemie catch COVID and the family did not notice. They said, yeah, the child was a little sick, but, and then he had just a routine test. Mm-hmm. Uh, not routine test, a routine procedure where they needed a COVID test before and he became, he was positive and they couldn't believe it. Nobody else really had symptoms and he was, um, 
he had some symptoms, but not anything bad. He was never hospitalized with mm-hmm. it, even though he had COVID. And he you would think he's high risk. He's an ex-NICU baby, you know. Right. So, so I've had another child that caught COVID. He was a little bit older uh, where a nurse brought it in, and it was like around Christmas time. He spent Christmas in COVID isolation in the hospital. Goodness. And his mother was so sick from COVID that she couldn't take care of him. And the nursing agency pulled all the nurses. Oh, so goodness. the nurses gave them COVID and then and they, they took pulled all the support away help. too. Yeah. And then the, and then the mom was really sick where she was miserable and she couldn't take care of him. So he was hospitalized simply because she then, and, and he was not that sick. He, I mean, I visited him. We were just playing around in his room. He was laughing and doing. They celebrated Christmas right before all this. They knew already, oh, my God, we kept in COVID. We don't have bad symptoms. Let's celebrate real quick Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then so in that case, you know, I mean, they're just wonderful. And But but he was, uh, they were very afraid that uh, COVID would be very detrimental to this child. But he just coasted right through just fine. So I've. I've not um, had too many problems with children being very sick. I've even had older kids that are now in the adult world, uh, a few that caught COVID and were impatient with it, but none of them had it really bad, which That's, is a blessing. It is a blessing. And I, and I know I was going to tell you, you were talking about the COVID test. Unfortunately, poor John has had several this past year. So if, mm. if there's any, and of course, it's hopefully winding down, but if uh, if they need anybody to talk to, he can... <laughs> He can tell you. Mm-hmm. Show you how it's like, right? Yeah. He, right, right before he was decannulated, he had another one, and he was just like, okay. He just didn't care. He was like, <laughs> he had it done so many Do times. It. <laughs> wow. Um, and I didn't like it. This shows how resilient they are. Yeah, I had, a, I had a flu test once where they did the same thing, and it felt like they stuck a toilet brush up I, my nose. and it hurt I think like, for hey, me, the flu, COVID, I had that before, and I thought that hurt more bad. than COVID. So. Yeah, COVID. I had one in March when I had like last last year when I had exposure and it wasn't that bad. I'm like, are you, and it was negative. I'm like, how can I be negative after this crazy? That was before, right. I mean, before we even wore the N95 mask was mm-hmm. like the beginning of all of this. I'm like, oh my god, it was the second COVID patient in the hospital, and I'm already exposed. I was gonna, you know, but that she was the only one, and I've never been yeah. sick. And then well, the moment that shot came out, I went for it. You know, yeah, well, we've been fortunate. Nice yeah, we were all fortunate. Not, we uh, we had a, I'm, I'm team Pfizer. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to, I don't know how the how low they're going to go in the ages. You may know that answer. I don't know. Um, I know I'm just, hoping, well, I'm hoping that, um, I, I mean, especially now where all the masks are not required anymore. And here you go with your unimmunized child. Mm-hmm. And, even though the kids aren't getting that sick, you still, I mean, COVID, that's like a horrible virus. You still don't want them to have exposure to it, right. you know? It's kind of a little scary, that part of it. I wish we could just vaccinate everybody. Right. You did know, you, hopefully they, they'll do soon. So did you, have you encountered any parents? I, I, I'm kind of curious on this. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's, this is Central Texas for us, and and I know some of the mentality had had been denying denial and anti-mask, but mm-hmm. would you say of your co- of your trach patients and trach families, did have they taken it consistently? Have you seen them take it seriously? Um, yeah, very. And I've had uh, several where, and and also when I see them, you know, especially the little older ones that I see, the the ones that cross over to the adult world. Uh, I ask all of them, how about COVID tests? Because they can get, you know, they're 17 and older, they can get immunized against mm-hmm. it. 
And so I'm asking and, um, yeah, I've had several nurses. Oh, we got everybody immunized. We got everybody. <laughs> whole, right. whole nurses, whole entire family, we all did it, you know, just to get this at the moment they had the opportunity, they did it. So I've had a lot of families that, that got uh, vaccinated. I have some of my adult trach patients. Were they still on the fence and like, well, as long as it, and you know, as long as it's not experimental. I had one family say, well, we got the shot. And then the uh, wife was saying, um, you know, even if the government is tracking us, it's not going to bother me. They're tracking us with cell phones that's, anyway. I'm that's like, my oh, when I work in marketing. Yeah, I'm in digital marketing, <laughs> and I can tell you we can track a lot more with this phone than we could with the. <laughs> uh, yeah, with the, and I said, trust me, you know, I volunteered a day and gave those COVID shots. It's a very, very little bit of substance and a skinny little needle. There's nothing we can stick in there to track you. Yeah. Trust me, if we could, it would be amazing. We wouldn't have such clunky cell phones, you know. <laughs> That's right, I, I was like, yeah, so I, but, but they still did it, even though they felt, you know, they, and, and I've had, uh, interestingly, when I, I don't, and I volunteered that one day just to do it, uh, and they, they finally gave me some stickers to give out. I'm like, oh, cool, I got stickers to give the people that get the COVID shot. I, didn't like, get I got vaccinated. I didn't, get I didn't either. I didn't get a sticker, and here they gave me a little bat. So immediately I was like trying to dish them out to the people, and like, second lady there, I gave the shot to. She said, oh, you want a sticker? And she looked at me, and Turned out she didn't want nobody knowing she got oh, shot. Gotcha. So she did it anyway. But that was I thought that was very interesting. She did it anyway, but she didn't want but her whole community, her inner circle didn't believe it. And she didn't want nobody to know her friends and family that she actually went to get it. That is that's interesting. interesting that's a fur that's you a know, so so there might be some that secretly get it, even though they're all kind of objecting this stuff, but they get it anyway. So I, I never knew that was even happening, but I bet there are some. They might even say, no, I didn't get the shot, and they probably actually did. And they did. did. That is an so, interesting so perspective. You have, to, you have to look at that. That, I, that was a very unique, weird, I mean, different perspective. I'm like, huh, interesting. Yeah. Surely that's Regardless, not isolated. You know? It's got to be others no. that did that. Yeah. Huh. But I told everybody the moment, you know, I got the shot December 15th at Tuesday, like 4 o'clock. <laughs> And as soon as I got the shot, you know, I was a little scared. <laughs> but sure. as soon as I got it, I told everybody, all my colleagues, all my patients, you know what? I got the shot. As soon as you have the opportunity, go get it. It's important, you know, and just trying to uh, to get people to be less scared, you know. And, yeah. And so I, but but I, I think for my pediatric population, they can't get the shot yet. But I think that, um, I think they were all very reasonable. Maybe the reason is because if you're taking care of a child that has a trach, you're kind of in- medically inclined and you have yeah. a little bit different understanding than the general population. So if you know that, I mean, you're used to infectious diseases and if there's something that can prevent an infectious disease, if there's something that pre- prevents your child from being hospitalized and being sick, you would do that. And I think that's maybe why so many of my families are are not necessarily affecting it because they, that's what I'm thinking because they, well, and they, that's true. They understand different on a different level. You know, I, I think, I don't know. When I was, and I, I, you know, a report I had read years ago before COVID and it was a video of news report was that in, in like Japan, it's common that if you have a cold, if you're sick, you wear a mask. And so oh, yeah, China too. Um, in China too. Yeah. And so, 
I just, I just was always, so I always had this mindset that if I was very sick, I would likely wear a mask. I didn't, I hadn't been that, mm-hmm. haven't been that sick, but I, so for me, I was like, this seems, this seems like a, and I didn't mean to turn this into a COVID discussion, but it's, uh, it's just interesting because with John though, yeah, you're, you're right. We, we knew that he was susceptible to issues. Now at the same time, we were also comforted a little bit because we had our doctor tell us that while we were hopeful he won't get it, if he does get it and did have to have, be hospitalized, he's already got the trach. It's easier to, if they did have to do any anything extreme, he's ready to go. You know, he's got the he's got the hook. He's ready to roll. Exactly. And yeah, so he, the problem with COVID is it scars up the airways because a lot of patients are intubated so long. I don't know. It just messes up the airways. And if somebody already has a trach, yes, they don't need to be intubated. They have a trach already. And they can be on a ventilator, and they don't have risk for running for getting right. a scarred airway after they recover. Absolutely, that's that's a total factor. Yes. So, so for we, while we were hopeful he wouldn't, and we took precautions, we were also a little comforted to say, well, you know, we're more likely to be hurt more than he would be. So we we were a little little comforted by that. Well, you know, I appreciate you talking to me tonight. I, I didn't. <laughs> I can tell the conversation's over when we go into COVID and conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, you know what? Uh, since we, uh, you know, we can just continue forever. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it was fun. Yeah. I appreciate this. I'm glad you came on, and I may, you know, I may keep your name down for for future topics. Um, I've got a few other people. Uh, I tell you what's challenging, and and I'll say this is it's hard to get. Some parents want to talk. Some parents, some people just mm-hmm. they want to talk and tell their story. And then some, like I've had issues on some of the groups though, like the trait groups, because they don't they don't want they think you're advertising. And so it's hard to get guests. Advertising like what? The podcast. They think that, oh, you're in it to make money. And like I said, uh, for those oh. who've listened, I don't, you know, I've, I've got, I told you earlier, I've got 11, I've made $11 over a year and a half, you know, and that's still sitting yeah. in the account that, that was set up with Anchor. That's the company well, I, I have another problem with, for instance, parents are making money through, um, um, through what's it called? Uh, like influencers and stuff, you know, yeah. and trying to, trying to make and some of them use their children i not use but um utilize uh, you know to get donations and things you know and that's a little bit yeah and I, i'll with. i don't i'm well i mean i can i guess i'll see parents that, uh, it's very rare that, that, but it's well I, but i see parents though that do that and will use this as a means to to garner support now i you know i've started the podcast and to raise awareness. And I, you know, I, I'll do those types of things. And, and I just feel weird for somebody, especially now that he's decannulated, I just feel weird. Somebody giving you a, a, a pity donation. You know, I, I say that. Yeah. I know some parents absolutely 100% need it. Um, you know, but we were fortunate. But they're usually not the ones to, to, you know, they're usually pretty quiet. Yeah. And, and I've itself. looked at writing a book, you know, for this simply just to tell, document the story for him and, and, and to show, cause I definitely went through a big emotional change or at least a, a, a fundamental change with myself when he was, when he was born, you know, um, to where I, I started feeling more humbled by situations and I felt, um, I it changed me for the good. You know, and and, yeah, and I uh, and one I don't. Of my moms wrote a book about that, and uh, one of my moms and I, she wrote a book and got it published about her NICU experience. Yeah, and I don't have any issue and, with and it that. Was, it was very, it was very interesting for me as a um, nurse to read her inside yeah. story because I worked much more with dad in NICU. She was a lot more reserved, but interestingly, she observed everything. 
when I read some pages and she described some things, I'm like, I, it was like a movie in front of my eyes. I'm like, yeah. I remember. And I remember her, but I could never look into her head. Right. Now I know what was going through her mind. She just wasn't as open as I am. I don't like a talker. I just tell you what I think. Sure. But some people are much more reserved. And that's probably where I have more problems with because I'm so open. I'm like, if you have a problem or you have a question, tell me, you know, but not every parent can. Right. Well, I'm almost like that. You know, it's just like when you were training Jacqueline, um, I was watching and I asked a few questions. But for me, it was like, OK, if I, I guess if I have a question, I can either call her or Jacqueline, maybe Jacqueline mm-hmm. saw it because I'm just I'm just that personality. But it, but I'll say the experience changed me and some parents, it changes them, too. And I'm OK with them sharing those experiences. There's no I don't mm-hmm. think. But I, I just take issue when they, whenever they um, intentionally just find other angles to to garner sad fe- you know feelings of oh the poor family yeah you know, yeah, yeah intentionally yeah, yeah, exactly you know yeah yeah that's kind of odd i mean some moms for instance sell trach ties and little day they sew little little but yeah, and i don't have issues i really yeah, don't have issues that's with really that cool you know i understand yeah, that we, that's we've awesome. bought some you know they're really neat um and then i've contacted a mom and said i love your product she said no I cannot sell to your children's hospital because I wanted to. I said, you know, she said, I'm a mom, mom with two little kids. I, I can sell, make some, but not this amount. I'm like, oh, dang it. You know, I really yeah. like those. Yeah. But, well, one thing, uh, yeah, that's, that's an, that could be a whole other episode of trick ties. You know, we, we, I think not, no one sponsors this, but like Neotech has some very nice, very nice ones that we liked yeah. and, and, uh, we're they, you get, colorful too. Yeah. Like, colorful. You get camo, you could get different, different designs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to let you go. I appreciate you coming on today. I can't thank Svenja enough for coming on the podcast and we hope to have her on again in the near future. She is a wealth of information and provides a great perspective from that of a healthcare professional. If you are now or have been the parent of a trach child, or perhaps you have or had a trach yourself and would like to be a guest on our show to help others, visit trachbaby.com and fill out the form. We hope today's episode has helped in some way. Thank you for listening.